Welcome to Views from the Porch, a lifestyle podcast where we have weekly conversations about some of the biggest challenges young adults face today. Our desire is to use God's word and our experience leading thousands of young adults at the porch to challenge you, push you, keep it real with you, and walk alongside you as you navigate your defining years as a young adult. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live or follow us on social media. And with that, here's this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. And this week, you're listening to a very special edition where we are releasing one of the messages from our Awaken 2022 conference. That's right, exclusively on Views from the Porch, you're gonna hear for the next several weeks the speakers and the messages from our conference. Enjoy the message. We'll see you next week on another episode of Views from the Porch. Hey, guys. (laughs) How's it going? Awaken, it is so good to be here. And I feel like causing trouble today, so somehow I am praying that God will use this evening to not just teach you something. In fact, I don't care if you learn something new. I think you probably know plenty. I am praying that the wind of the Spirit would blow in this place and that there would be people that walk out of here convicted to go onto the mission field both in their workplace and across the globe. I am praying that there would be conviction in this room, that there would be a sense of, you know what, the spirit rising up in me and I'm gonna say things that I've never said out loud before I leave this place. I'm gonna pray that the spirit is gonna move you to do things that you never, ever, ever, ever wanted to do because that is how our God moves. And so let me start by reading a little story. And a lot of you are probably familiar with this story. But hopefully tonight, it will feel fresh to you again. 1 Samuel 17. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and on Israel, they stood on the other mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp a Philistine, a champion named Goliath, who was really, really big. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing a whole lot. On his legs, he wore bronze thingies and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was really big and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So their freedom was on the line. The nation of Israel's Freedom was on the line, and this man, Goliath, is taunting all of God's people. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. In other words, I defy their God. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah, Jesse had eight sons, and his oldest three sons had followed Saul to the war 
But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening, and they took their stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. I just never noticed that before, or it wasn't in my storybook Bible, but you know, this is full on charcuterie like David is carrying into battle. 10 cheeses, I mean, that's wild. Okay, sorry. Um, See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So he shows up, this is my interpretation. So he shows up and sees Goliath and all the Israelites cowering and afraid. And he is annoying his brothers, trying to figure out what is going on. And he seems like a pest for a few paragraphs. And then David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Okay? So David's watching all the armies stand around and be dismayed and afraid. And he's trying to figure out what's wrong. Why, why, we are God's people. What? Anyway, he's bothered. And so he decides, I'll fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from this, the hand of this Philistine. Don't you love him? Love him. Okay. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of, honor on, a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened, fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He said, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, his little shepherd bag pouch, and his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. I know y'all have heard this before, but it is so good. And then the next paragraph, he gets made fun of and ridiculed for a few paragraphs. It's significant, but moving on. But David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down, cut off your head. And then he did that. God, the same God the same God that, that watched his people on the side of the mountain staring at a simple man, a big man, in fear. I cannot imagine, God, how frustrating that is for you to watch your people stand on the sidelines in fear. While God, you wanna do great things. And so God, I believe, I mean, what I see out of this room happening is unbelievable works through your spirit and for your glory. So God, would you rise those things up in my friends? In Jesus' name, amen. 
But first we're gonna gamble. So I need to start. I need to start by saying, this is my friend Steven. Everybody say hi to Steven. Hello. So Steven, how many times have you gambled in a church? Never. Okay. So, so Steven, let me say first of all that I don't believe in gambling. Me neither anymore. <laughs> it's dangerous. I've learned my lesson. Don't do it. But I will teach lessons. But I'm not going to gamble real money today. We're just going to use these tokens that say $5,000 instead. So today, this is the analogy we're going to use. And I want to teach you about the game of roulette. And then we're going to look at David's life and the game of roulette. We're going to come up with some facts and some truths that we're going to apply to our lives. How many of you know the game of roulette? Actually, don't raise your hand. <laughs> so going to get judged. All right. So this game right here, in fact, I'm gonna ask my son to come up, who's one of the volunteers here this weekend. Connor Allen, just graduated Texas A&M. So he's gonna gamble, except without money. Oh yeah. So here's what I know, is that there is a reality to this game that I've learned on YouTube. And... <laughs> Stephen, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach them about roulette from YouTube. Please, and I, I have a feeling learn. you're about to interrupt me. I just Absolutely. am gonna. So so let me teach you a few bets because they're gonna apply. First bet, you can start making a bet. You go. Good luck. Um, the first bet I'm gonna teach you is the outside. <laughs> they are the easiest bets on this game. Yes. Go ahead. They are the easiest bets and the most likely to win because you're really picking between red and black. It lands on red, you get red. Double, you oh, double your money. Even, even money. Okay. You, oh, he's going. Okay. One to one. And and then you land on black. You same you thing. get the same thing. So this is a fifty percent chance Correct. I'm going to win. Correct. Then you go into the table a little bit more, and then there's some more complicated bets that I want you to learn. So the first thing is. I know about the corner bet. What's the other one called? The split. There's a split bet, 17 to one. Okay, tell us, tell us about that. So. Okay, so seven or the eight hits. You know, when you spin the wheel, the seven or eight hits, you get 17, depending on how much dollars you have. That's a dollar at 17, $2 is 34, and so on. And of course, that's 17 for a split. Corners are the four numbers. Any one of those four pays eight to one. Eight to one. Okay, I want you to take this in. Eight to one, four squares, okay? What are you gonna do? I just want you to tell people the real reason that you know all this about roulette. <laughs> <laughs> I've gambled one time. I'm about to tell my son this. I gambled one time and I was really good at it, but it was just the sluts. I made turn $20 to $200 and then I lost it all. And my husband took me out and said, you can never gamble again because I loved it so much. I turned around <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, why do we not do this all the time when I'm at <laughs> And he turned white. That's the only time I've gambled. So I don't know roulette except for, actually the YouTube channel that taught me this was called Totally Depraved. <laughs> Didn't make that up. All right. Not okay, so we're gonna not make a, a bet. Out. Are we ready? Let's do it. Absolutely. Let's, Let's go. go. So if it hits on any of the numbers that my son has placed a bet on, he wins money, but Absolutely. loses money too? Absolutely. Only one number is gonna hit out of 38 numbers, 36 plus the two zeros, or the zero and double zero, we land on a three. <gasps> oh. but, you, but he had red. Hey, 
Thank goodness we have a couple of thousand on that because everything <laughs> else lost. Okay. So we would just swipe everything away and we would pay what won, which she just won $4,000. Yes. If you want to take that kind of risk. And there you Very go. Very good. And Very then we good. do it again. All right. All right. Thank you, You take Stephen. your wins, split it around however you want to do it. If you want to try it again, or you can go cash it in at the cashier's cage. So you did all right. Good job. Not bad. All right. Y'all thank Stephen and my son, Connor. Absolutely. Let me tell you why I am starting with these two things today. I've been off for three months. I have um, been on a sabbatical. And in that time, I enjoyed myself. I actually had a lot of fun. I have a really, really great family. I like them. I really like them. Like, it's not pretend. I think they're really fun. And we... I'm really content living the life I've lived the last three months. In fact, I'm probably in a lot of ways more content. But I'm supposed to come back, and the reason I'm supposed to come back at least today, who knows, tomorrow might be a different story, but today, why I'm here and not at home is because I actually really believe in you. And I actually really believe what David shared last night, that the time is short and that we don't have long. And when I picture your lives and I picture over 3,000 of you going into your places and obeying God, something rises up in me that says, I don't want to choose comfort, I want to choose obedience. And so what we're gonna talk about tonight is risk. Because in my experience, following God has typically been risky. In fact, not very much time goes by that he's not calling me to risk in some way. And the reason that, that I pick this topic as I'm coming back is that I actually believe that good works were prepared in advance, Ephesians says, that good works were prepared in advance for you to do. That there are things that God has written into your story, gifted you for like David shared, and prepared you for to accomplish that will change the kingdom of God. Godly, obedient risk. But I'm gonna speak widely to your generation, meaning I'm gonna say people in their 20s, early 30s, I think you're playing very small. I think you're playing very small. And that would be okay if there wasn't much on the line, but guys, we don't know that there isn't a lot on the line. In fact, just biblically speaking, even if Jesus doesn't return for generations, there's always a lot on the line, right? And so what I wanna start with tonight before, before we get into this, I want you to envision something that you have felt God prompt you to do, that you have imagined that should be done on the earth, something that, that feels kind of audacious, that, or maybe it's just scary. In fact, let me define risk for you, because this helped me a lot. This is just out of the dictionary right here. You ready? An action exposing you to danger, harm, or loss. An action exposing you to danger, harm, or loss. 
So what is God calling you to do? Or maybe it's as simple right now, today, as just what do you think should be done? And I want you to come up with something in your, your mind because this is a part of teaching where a right typical response in, in my preparation would be to name a lot of different options for you to say, hey, I could picture it being this or I could picture it being this. But I really felt hesitant to do that because I actually think God is way more creative than me. And I believe that he will bring something into your mind that, that I would never have thought of or imagined because that's how he works. And so this is what I wanna do first. I want you just to say that out loud. Maybe it's not something you're going to do, but it's something you think should be done. Can we start there? Something in your generation. Now, I'm gonna add one more little part to it. I want you to imagine that Jesus is coming back in 10 years. What would you do? What would you do if you knew 10 years from today, Jesus was coming back? What would need to be done and what risk would you take? And I want you to tell your neighbor, go. I believe there are good works that God prepared you to do and I believe that we can miss them. I believe it is possible to waste your life. I believe that we play small because we forget that. So the corner bet, I like the corner bet. It's kind of in the middle, one to eight odds. You are unlikely to get this. In fact, Stephen was telling me out there, he goes, this is the worst game in the whole casino. Never play roulette. The odds are never in your favor. Look how many numbers there are. But the corner bet, you're saying one, four, five, or two. Guys, let me tell you something. Every single one of you is placing a bet in this life. You are placing a bet. You may not realize that you're placing a bet. You're not thinking about it, but you're placing a bet. Let's start with red and black. That's the most careless thing you can do. You have a good chance of winning. That's the one my son won. Red or black, 50-50. You're only gonna double your money. But a lot of you in life aren't even thinking about this. You've casually tossed a chip in with God or a chip in with the world. You like that, Jesus, the world? So good, black, red. Yeah, plays out so great. Gotta redeem it somehow, y'all. You casually do that. You're not overthinking it. You barely even think about what you're doing or why you're doing it. I think that is a lot of us. Corner bet. One, two, four, five. This one is a little more strategic. In fact, probably most of the girls in here will relate more to this than the other one. This one, you're planning it out, but you're gonna put your chips on a few things. You're gonna say, you know what? I do think Jesus is real, yes. But I also wanna get married, yes. And I also would like a cute dog. <laughs> and I want a good job. And I wanna make enough money that I can shop. And that's okay, it's okay. None of that's bad, but there's definitely a assessment of risk. If I go all in here, then I may not get this. 
and I may not get this, and I may not get this. Every one of you is putting your hope, your money, your time, your passions, your curiosity, all of you are putting your money somewhere. You're putting it somewhere. And how divided it is, it's interesting, the lower the payout. So if I put it on a row, Stephen's in the back going, don't do it, Jenny. You're gonna mess it up. If I put it on a row, if I put it on a section, this section right here, then I have the odds go way down. But if I get anything in this, and that's what we do is we spread it out so far so that hopefully something works out for us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And yet we are trying to get all these things and adding God to that. Next, small risks lead to big risks. Small risks lead to big risks. Okay, let's look at David. Do you think most shepherds today or even back then have stories like there was a lion and there was a bear? Do you think that that was common? I don't think that was common. I'm like, dude, sitting with a harp in the field watching sheep. Like, I don't think bears and lions were like all over the place, but God sent David a bear and God sent David a lion. Why? Because he knew there would be a Goliath. See, the way risk works is it rarely is that God is gonna ask you to move to China and be a part of the underground church. That's not how it usually works. What happens is he will ask you to serve in the nursery. <laughs> like he will, he will put something in your spirit that says, you know what? I think I'm supposed to sign up to lead Sunday school. One of my son's best friends, I sat by him in church the other day and he had to dart out really quickly and he leaned over. He was like, I've got to go. My kids are waiting for me. And he's leading five-year-olds in church. He's 25, 26 years old and they love him. His name's Grady. And he was like, but Mrs. Allen, I love them more. He said, I don't want them to graduate and this is the week that they're gonna go up and I'm so devastated that I'm not going with them. Sometimes that risk, and he said, I don't know why I did it. I just felt like I was supposed to get more involved. I was supposed to serve. Like why I could, I, I should. It was just a little bitty risk. But here's the thing about risks. When I took my kids cliff jumping, they're terrified. They're going off a cliff this big. They're terrified till they do it once. And then guess what? They're looking at the next higher Cliff, and they're like, let's go. Let's go on the higher one. And then they're jumping off of that. And before long, I'm weeping in the fetal position because they're jumping off of a 10-story building into the water. My offspring, right? That's how it goes. Gets bigger and bigger because we get conditioned. We realize that if we jump off that cliff, that we're okay. Not only are we okay, but this is fun. And this is what we were built for. That's how God works. This isn't some scary thing that he's calling you into drudgery. He is actually calling you into the abundant life that you're missing if you don't live this way. Obedient risk fast tracks growth. 
Now, I know this morning T.A. talked about, he talked a little bit about sin. And he talked about our bodies and, and what they were made for. And, and some of you have struggled with the same sin for a decade. And you don't know how to change. And you don't know why things aren't changing. Some of you have been looking for purpose in your life since you were 12 years old and you still don't know what it is. Risk fast tracks growth. It causes you to actually want God because you need God. When you're standing there going, I'm scared and I don't know how to do this and I feel empty and I don't know if this is gonna work and I don't know if this risk is actually gonna prove worth it. I have been there so many times and guys, I'm on my knees and my favorite two words, I prayed it yesterday and put it on Instagram is help God, help God, help God. And guess what? When you are saying help God, what does that look like? You are fixing your eyes on Jesus. You are running the race that was set before you. And it says that the sin and the burden that so easily entangles you starts to fall off. That's Hebrews 12. It starts to fall off. Why? Because you're so busy running, you don't have time to think about yourself. Like this is how the Christian life is meant to be run in abundance, that we would not be hedging our bets and trying to control our lives and figure it out. We are fixing our eyes on Jesus, running the race he has set before us and throwing off the sin and the burden because why would we carry that around? We've got a race to run. If you're wondering why you're still stuck in a sin 10 years later, go sign up to lead five-year-olds, or do something that will change your life and make you less selfish. Care about someone other than yourself. And all of a sudden, you don't have time to, to sin because you're thinking about the people that are looking up to you. You're thinking about the people that wanna be just like you. And there's something in the spirit that happens through us and to us. When we say, okay, I'll try that. I'll do that. That's not comfortable for me. Help, God. Help. This is what I know. Every single thing that I know to be true of God is not because I was blessed enough to get to go to seminary and because I know my Bible. Everything that I know to be true of God is because I have stepped out on the water where feet may fail and he has held. And that is what the life is he has called you to. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, this is great. I, I'll risk. I, I don't think it's that big a deal. What do you want me to do? And I'll do it. I'm gonna suggest that probably the thing you want to do is probably not the thing God's gonna call you to do. So I'm actually gonna take this great sales pitch and like kill it because in my experience, he keeps, I keep saying, I keep saying, I want to go that way. And he keeps saying, you're going this way. And because of that, I am mad at him. But where else am I gonna go? This is 
the Christian life, not finding your perfect career and calling, but finding ways to die to yourself every single day and pick up your cross and follow him no matter where he says go. And that is the story of how you know Jesus if you do, because somebody picked up their cross and followed Jesus and said, I'm gonna tell this neighbor about God. I'm gonna go to a new city. I am going to go to a new country. I am going to take the gospel somewhere because someone said, I'll go where I don't wanna go. You know Jesus. Because somebody had a conversation that they didn't probably want to have, you know Jesus. It is down this road that is more unknown. It's, it's wilderness. It's like, hey, let me tell you how I've felt most of my Christian life. I have a hatchet, I'm in the jungle, and God says, go. And I'm like, there's no road. He's like, go. I'm like, you want me just to start chopping? And he's like, yes, chop and I'll be right with you, and I'll tell you when to go left, and I'll tell you when to go right, and you'll know what to do, not because you're smart, but because I'm good, and I'll walk right beside you. I will be a lamp unto your feet. I will show you. I will show you where to go. And what does that look like? Everybody's going, what does that look like? Does God speak? What? I know, everybody wants to know. That's like the trick question where I'm gonna get in trouble now on the internet. All right. I can't tell you, but when I stand in front of choices, there's a sense of surrender in me that I will go wherever you call me to go. And when that has been true of my heart, not just of my mouth, but of my heart, I've known what to do. Surrender always, always is necessary to hear from God. You will never, ever know what to do in your life as long as you are placing bets on six numbers, eight numbers, four numbers. Until you place everything into one square, you will always feel like, why don't I hear from God? Why do I struggle with my sin? Why can't I change? You will be stuck in your sin forever. It is the simplest, truest thing I could ever say on earth. Surrender to Jesus. All of it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. It's the story of the whole book that we read and that we preach about. Abraham, all of the history of all of those imperfect people that said, God, yes, Esther, I will obey you. And then this one, and this one isn't fun. Risk will always confuse the people around you. Can you imagine what everyone was thinking about David when he takes off all the armor and runs out with his little slingshot? Can you imagine how much everyone was just laughing and entertained by this? This was hysterical to them. They were making fun of him. The Philistines, everybody's taunting him. They're, they're not even fighting because they're literally just having a ball watching this little boy with a slingshot. And yet the world has a way of doing things that is successful. It makes sense to the world. It makes sense to us. It, it makes sense. This is how you do it. This is what you do. But when God calls you to risk something, to do something for him, 
in my experience, it has never made any sense at all. It has never felt like, wow, I have what I need. I know what to do. Let's go. It has felt like, are you sure? Because this is going to be embarrassing. This is this feels scary. I don't think that this could possibly be right. I remember when we started If Gathering. It's an organization I lead, and we, we hosted our first big event, and, and I took away the ticket price, and I said, I think we're supposed to do pay what you can. Well, we didn't have a, a, an investor. We didn't have any money ourselves. We had nothing. And so my husband and everyone that loves me and everyone that was involved was like, Jenny, no. Like, we will, we will have to file bankruptcy, and, and this will end before you even start. And guys, there are times to listen to the voices of godly people. Believe me, I have listened to my husband many, many times that he has said no, and I've said, you're probably right. But in this instant, there was something in me that I just knew this is what we were supposed to do, and it didn't make sense. It cost $300,000 to host our first event. It went out to the world. There were 1,200 local events that happened that, in that time. We raised $315,000 with $10 bets. I mean, not bets, donations. <laughs> kind of was. $10 donations. There are times God will ask you to do something that feels just silly. And largely, let me tell you where that has been in my life. It has been in my neighborhood. It has been with my friends. It has been with people that I have a relationship with. Those have been scarier risks than the big things. Having a conversation with somebody that, that doesn't know God, like that has been a harder thing to accomplish than the big things that I'm more sure of that I feel like God is really saying to me, even though there's more on the line. But here's what I picture with all of you is if we're growing up, if we're running our race, if we're accomplishing what God has for us, if we're taking our little rocks and slingshots, here's what happens. God gets the glory. And that's the story that, that he's writing. That's a story he wants to be a part of, is a story where he gets the glory, where a little boy takes five stones and it only takes one and knocks down the giant. These are the stories that God wants to build through us. And what if... What if Jesus comes back in your lifetime? What if that is the plan? And, and so today, when I'm, specifically yesterday, when I'm a little anxious about coming back and going, okay, Lord, like you're gonna have to almost recall me, recommission me to do this because I've really liked living in this little space. Like, I want you to send me back out if you want me back out there, but I'm good if I stay. When I'm praying that, when I'm, when I'm wrestling with him, this is what I picture. I picture 3,000 of you walking out of these doors and doing one small thing that scares the crud out of you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that that domino falls into the lives of other people and it hits their lives and you don't ever know or even see it, but you obeyed God. You obeyed God. 
and you did what he called you to do and that fell into the life of someone else and that fell into the life of more people and that fell into the life of more people and that fell into the life of more people. All of a sudden, I'm not speaking to 3,000 people. I'm speaking to hundreds of thousands of people because you walk out those doors, you go to your towns and you do the little acts of obedience that scare you to death. God moves on earth. How the world changes. Small, risky, godly steps of obedience. If you are following him and it feels comfortable, I promise you there is more. And here's the great news. God honoring risky obedience, it isn't actually risky at all. It's not risky at all. The way that this game is played, Stephen was telling me, is that the most common bet is to put it all on a number. You put it on one number. 20 is the most popular number. So here's hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're gonna just put it all on 20. Because here's the thing. We know how this ends. If you knew the number, if you knew it, Without a doubt, if you knew the number is 20, I know it, it is going to be 20. What would you put in on that? What would you do? How would you play if you were certain with 100% accuracy that the number would be 20 when this thing rolls? What would you do? What would you put in on it? You'd put everything. Guys, you're playing small and there's something in me that has this feeling like it's gonna really matter that you not do that. That it's going to matter that you spend your lives not fancy, not doing big things for God, but doing obedient things that God calls you to. And sometimes it will be big and mostly it will be small. But it will be big. Because when I look at the things God has done that, that in the world's eyes are big, they were built with a million small little relationships and conversations and scary moments and acts of obedience. And for most of you and most of us, we're not gonna see till heaven how all of that was the big stuff, but it is the big stuff. It is the big stuff. The most common way God has, has led me and nudged me is ideas that pop in my head that I wouldn't have thought of, that I'd be too selfish to even think of that. But they'll, they'll bother me, they'll be in my head and I'll, I'll think to myself, okay, maybe, maybe that matters, maybe that's something I'm supposed to do. And I've learned to listen to those ideas and those thoughts. And, and to act on them because what's happened when I've done that is, is ridiculous things. It's like the little rocks. You're like, this isn't a big deal. It's just a little rock. It's what I do when I'm taking care of the sheep. But he set his nation free. So who are we to decide what we should do for God? See, God has a plan. He has a story. It's written before time and prepared in advance for us to walk in. I think of the parable about the field. When Jesus is giving the analogy of who wouldn't buy the field, push all the money in when they see that there's a treasure worth more than the land. 
They spend whatever they have to spend to get the land. And everybody will say, you're crazy to pay that, to spend that, to risk that, to lose that, to not control that, to go all in with God. That feels crazy. You may never get married because you're too strong of a girl. You may never have the perfect life that you're trying to build. You may lose that if you're called overseas. Think of my friend, Katie Davis. Many of you know her story. And she moved overseas as a 20-year-old and just never came back. She moved to Uganda and started bringing girls in off the streets and loving them, and they became a family. And, and the story of Katie is what inspired every single thing that I am currently doing in my life, namely our family, <laughs> adoption, if gathering, getting over myself and doing what he's called me to do and going down the road he's called me to go on instead of the road that I would want to or that would be more comfortable. See, risk is contagious. Because you do things, you start doing things that don't make sense, that aren't comfortable. And everybody cocks their head and wonders what the heck you're doing. But deep down, we all really hope there's more to live for than just a perfect little life that's all figured out. And there is. There is. We're not crazy. We're not crazy. The number's 20. I don't know. The number's 20. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's happening. It's real. It's not myth. Heaven's coming. It's not pretend. It's not a make-believe story you heard in sixth grade. It's real. It's happening. It's coming. And anything and everything that we do in the name of our God and in light of that story will be worth it. We are not fools. So what is it? And let me tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna actually pray really quickly together. And we're gonna ask God together if you're up for this. And I would encourage you, even if you're not, to pray these two simple prayers. They're gonna play for just a minute. Number one, you're gonna say, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? And then number two, God, what do you want me to do? And we're just gonna be quiet for a minute. And as you ask God those questions, I am praying that he will bring ideas to your mind. So God, we are your people and we are here. And we wanna spend our lives well. Show us how. God, what do you want us to know? And what do you want us to do? We have maybe a year, maybe 50 more, maybe more. Years on this earth. And I, I always have this image in my mind of getting to heaven and, and, and seeing Jesus and, and being out of breath. <laughs> Just having run every ounce of the life that he had planned for me. And, and Father, I pray for every person that can hear my voice right now, God, that they would want the same thing, that they would want you more than their life to work out, that they would want you more 
than money or fame or success or comfort or power or relationships on earth. God, that they would want you most and and God, that you would through their lives write stories that go on into eternity. That you would through these little ideas and seeds of thoughts, God, would you multiply them and would that ripple, God, touch generations. And Jesus, we don't know when you're coming back, but if it is soon, help us not waste the time. God, build an urgency in our souls that causes us to risk everything in this life for you. No matter what you say, God, that we would do it. Help us not miss any good work that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Not for our glory ever, because what a waste, but for your name and your glory that will go on forever. We wanna be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch, follow us on social media or visit us at theporch.live. And as always, go in peace and love to serve the Lord this week.